listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Welcome to the show. It's the Fred Files Podcast, your fortnightly foray into guitar geekery. My name is Eric Daw. I'm your personal guitar scientist with 25 years of experience building and repairing guitars. Sitting beside me is my lovely co-host, Melissa. Greetings. I will read the listener-submitted questions, and Eric will try to answer them the best he can, drawing on his experience as a professional luthier. I will. I will try. We've had a nice break. We took some uh, time off. We didn't do a whole lot. Yep. It was great. Yep. Um, but now we're getting back into things. You know, I was so afraid. It was funny because I, I have a Google business listing, right? Uh-huh. And uh, when I went on vacation in late December, I went into the Google dashboard there and changed the business listing so that it said closed for the holidays, right? And I had kind of forgotten that I did that. <laughs> and... Uh, early January, I st- my palms started sweating because I thought nobody's nobody's calling. You know, my phone <laughs> used to ring off the hook, uh, and I used to get just inundated with all kinds of repair calls. Yeah, and uh, so I went back to work. I I think I got back in the shop on the eleventh or tenth or something like that, and I had an email from my Google Business listing, and it said, "Hey, you know, update your holiday hours." And I looked at it, and sure enough, it still said closed for the holidays. So <laughs> I I set it to open, you know, and uh, almost immediately I, the phone started ringing off the hook. So that, if anybody with a business out there <laughs> that's wondering if a Google business listing really works, it does. I, it's astonishing to me how much business I get from my Google business uh, listing. And I think part of it is... Um, well, I don't know if this is true. So, for some reason, my website has been picked up by Google as, like, the beacon of guitar labor pricing. I don't know why. If you if you do a Google search, guitar repair prices, the snippets you'll see are from my website. Google has, you know, crawled the internet, and they like my chart. Something about their algorithm liked my chart, and I it directs a lot of people to my Google uh, business listing into my, my my website, so maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Anyhow, that's what's on my mind, not much else. I'm just getting back into things. I'm making some custom guitars. I'm still not doing any custom orders uh, until I get caught up, and I'm going to, f- I got to figure out what I'm going to do, guys. I really, the, the temptation of just making guitars the way I want to make them and then putting up for sale, 
the temptation is, it sounds real sweet because I haven't been able to do that for a long time. So I'm leaning towards that, but I haven't made an official decision yet. Yeah. What have you been working on, Melissa? Uh, I've just, uh, I, I'm trying to post products for sale <laughs> on my Etsy and, uh, I, I needed to update some product listings, so I, I've been making, uh, you know, just stock guitar straps. Um, oh, to retake your pictures? Right. Yeah, right. Oh, so yeah. I'll have some in-stock guitar straps up for sale soon. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. And then uh, about three weeks ago, I ordered a vinyl floor for my shop. Eric already knows this, but uh, it was supposed to be here two weeks ago. And it is still not here. I was going to put it in while we were on vacation, and it's still not here. So uh, I had planned on opening my customs up next week, but if my floor comes, I'll have to put the floor in and then open up customs the following week. So Yeah, the people you ordered the floor from, I'm really kind of disappointed with their service. Did I, t- I called them yesterday, and the robot on the tracking said... Your floor will be delivered on December 31st. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yesterday, Jan- January 13th. It made me laugh. It made me laugh really hard because I was going to put it in two weeks ago. And- I know, and have a new floor for the new year. I yeah. was going to help you install it. Yeah, right. But and now I still will. It's just going to take a little longer, and that's fine. I Now I had time to make some guitar straps. It's great. It'll all be good. It's Everything great. is going to work out. Oh, yeah. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. It, and uh, it's called 2021. Yeah. We made it. So far, it's been a banger. Yeah. What are we doing? Oh, we're doing a podcast. So uh, we don't have any calls, which is surprising. We took a month off and nobody called. Nobody cares. I mean, that's cool. But, yeah. you know, give us give us a ring, 757-774-8482, and we'll use your question on the show or comment or recipe or whatever. You know, the truth about Vintage Amps podcast, uh-huh. one of my favorite podcasts, Jason Verlindi, the publisher of the Fretboard Journal and the host of that podcast, ever so kindly told me that our podcast uh, inspired that podcast. Oh. Um, but it was funny because they have veered off into so much esoterica, like they do recipes and they do... They talk about cast iron cooking and they talk about all this stuff that when I started podcasting in 2014, hand to God, I swear that I was going to do that. I, I was going to, I was going to do recipes and literature, uh, references and recommendations and, uh-huh. and random whatever, you know, cause you, you, you live with me, you know how I am. Yeah. I like to oh, yeah. talk about all kinds of crazy random stuff, right? Yeah. Well, I decided, no, this, that's going to be too fringe. I'm going to focus the podcast and try to make it really just on topic. And they have had so much success with that. <laughs> and I should have, when I started this podcast in 2014, I should have, I should have followed my intuition and, and done that. But it doesn't matter. Yeah. I like it how it is. Hey, we could start telling recipes right now if you want. I know, but then it seems like we're copying them. You know what I mean? We don't want to be a copycat. (laughs) I want to be some Johnny-come-lately with my own cast iron tips. 
Give me a break, man. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Greetings from Northern California. Greetings. Hope you enjoyed your holidays. A couple of questions. One, I have a Tele-style guitar with a Charlie Christian pickup in the neck and a single coil in the bridge. The volume, tone, and pickup switch is on a circuit board by Santelen slash Electrics. I don't know who that is or what that is, but that's great. Uh, I get hum from the Charlie Christian, but not from the bridge pickup. Any thoughts on why? I already lined the pickup and switch cavities under the pit guard with copper foil. Do you want to take them one at a time or should I read the next one? Okay, so uh, the Charlie Christian pickup is one of the earliest electric guitar pickups made, and it's a great pickup. It, they sound cool; they're very they're very neat. Uh, but it is probably the pickup with about the loudest hum possible. I I can't think of another. You'd have to you would have to wire another pickup incorrectly to get it to hum uh, more than a Charlie Christian. They hum a lot. So, my guess is your single-coil bridge pickup does hum, but compared to that Charlie Christian, it almost sounds like nothing. That's my guess. It also, you know, I mean, a lot of possibilities. It could be wired incorrectly. If you've got that grounded improperly, it's definitely going to be ten times worse. But... uh the other thing that I'm thinking about, you said you shielded everything with copper. That can make things worse unless you do it right. So you, you may have actually made things worse by doing that. You want to check it with an ohm meter and make sure you've got continuity to ground on all your shielding. All your shielding has to be grounded. And a common mistake people make is they, they will ground the cavity where the electronics are, but then they won't ground the cavity where the pickup is you got to run an extra wire you know the um uh a standard a standard telly bridge pickup did he say this is a telly he did yeah he did yeah a standard telly bridge pickup has its own ground wire because it has its own base plate and it grounds to the screws which grounds to the bridge which grounds to the copper foil if it comes up over the edge the neck pickup cavity isn't like that. You have to run a separate ground wire to that and ground it to the to the ground of you know like the back of one of the pots. Otherwise, it it just makes things worse. So that's my thoughts on that. Cool. Uh, and number two, the neck is very flat with little to no relief, and I get a little fret buzz on the second and third fret on the A and D strings. I tried loosening the truss rod a little to give it a little more relief, but it still remains very flat. I prefer low action. Am I going about this wrong? Should I just file the affected frets? Thanks for your great podcast. I have lots of old episodes to catch up on. That's from Ron. Cool, Ron. Thanks. I don't know what you should do on those frets because uh, it depends on what's causing the problem. If if you've got a little bit of fret height discrepancy, then you you might need to do a fret level there. But don't start leveling frets without knowing what's going on. You need to put a straight edge on there with the strings on it, so strung up to, to tension. Put a straight edge on it and see if you've got high spots. You might have some fret wear and, and excessive wear in those first couple uh, 
frets is really common, and that'll cause some buzz. You might need more neck relief. I don't know. These are things that you have to measure, you, you know, and and figure out what the proper course of action is. So that's my uh, that's my comments there. Thank you, Ron. Appreciate it. Dear Eric and Melissa, I really enjoy the podcast. As someone who's been tinkering with and repairing guitars for the last 20 years, I often find myself guessing your answers to listener questions correctly most of the time, but learning a ton as well. Very good. After using lemon oil on fretboards for years, I switched to Gurlitz after hearing your recommendation. You hear that, Gurlitz? You should sponsor the show. (laughs) Think of the... All you'd have to do is wait for the money to roll in. That stuff is really superior. See what I'm talking about? For my question, I'd like to discuss bridge pins. Have you ever found brass bridge pins to make a positive difference on any guitar? Also, have you ever encountered the product called power pins? To me, they are a silly-looking gimmick for people who want to save time changing strings, but maybe there is some value there for the right application. Thanks, and I anticipate buying some of your strap pickups someday, and also a leather strap, of course. That's from Chris. Cool. Thanks, Chris. I had to Google power pins while he's uh, while you were reading his question because I wasn't 100% sure. Yeah, I've seen pins kind of like that before. <clears throat> I'm with you. They're 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 kind of goofy. Look, there's always a gimmick. There's always there's always some gimmicky hokey product for sale that you can s- slap on your guitar. Just know this. I've worked on so many pros guitars, and I'm not going to go through a list or name drop, but just just rest assured. I ain't telling a lie here. I've worked on a lot of pros guitars. None of them use any of these weird gimmicks. None of them. None of. None of them. It it, it just uh, it's just not a thing. This is this is for something that, like these weird bridge pins and weird little doodads and little hoedads that you clip onto your guitar. Uh, it's really like super hobbyist stuff. That's my opinion. But you know, your mileage may vary. What was his other question here? Um, have you ever found brass bridge pins to make a positive difference on any guitar? No, I don't like the way they look. And I mean, you know, they probably make a, a sound difference. They probably make a tonal difference, but they just don't do anything for me. I I seem to remember that we did an episode about this once, and I read somebody's research on the subject. Uh, it's a shame that I don't go through and annotate our podcasts very well because yeah. then I'd be able to search some kind of database like like a, like if I had time to do that kind of stuff. Maybe somebody who remembers w- might give us a shout out, but <clears throat> no, I look stick with, you know, I I do like bone bridge pins and nice bridge pins and and uh, you know, high-end hardwood good bridge pins and Good old plain plastic bridge pins are fine. Once you get into brass, eh, I lose interest. I, I, I think they look funny, and uh, maybe they, I'm sure they sound fine, but to me, it's its a gimmick. Thanks, Chris. Hey, Eric and Melissa. I am new to the podcast, and I am so happy that I discovered it. Thank you both for this excellent and entertaining resource. I feel lucky as I have just started working through the episodes and it will be a while before I have to wait on the next episode. 
I spent many years as a touring guitar tech, never much of a player. I loved getting inside gear and seeing what made things work. Mm -hmm. The challenge of keeping things running night after night was a dream job for me back then. I settled down and shifted out of the music world, and for the last decade or so, I have been a Montessori teacher. Guitars left my life entirely until about five years ago when I picked up an old Gibson acoustic and immediately relapsed, which manifested (laughs) as guitar acquisition. I have just moved to Tokyo from just outside Toronto and had to sell most of my guitars back home before moving here, but I did bring my 56J45 and a telly. I have decided to restart my collection with Japanese guitars while here. American vintage guitars, while very available, are just not financially an option here. If you've never been to Tokyo, Google Guitar Street for an idea of the shopping district here. Oh, I've seen that. Sounds awesome. Uh-huh. I've seen it. And no, we've never been to not Tokyo. In, not in person, but no, yeah. I've seen pictures and it looks amazing. Uh, to help me get to pl- to the plugging in and playing stage of choosing another guitar over your years of guitar experience, have you come across any favorite Japanese-made guitars, acoustic and electric, that I should keep an eye out for? Are there any surprises that you can share, like manufacturers, models, or years that particularly stand out from your experience? My next question for you would be a little more practical in nature. What are your thoughts on how to best, for the acoustic guitar, acclimatize them to sometimes radical changes in environments? That's from Chris. Cool. Thank you, Chris. Man, yeah, I've I've looked at uh, Guitar Street in Tokyo, just on, on the internet. Uh, what does he... So he says, uh, what are your thoughts on how to best acclimatize acoustic guitars for sometimes radical changes in environments. Um, All you can do is all you can do, and what I always recommend is a case humidifier. Keep them in the case with a case humidifier, and uh, that way they're they're just in their own little microclimate. Um, And then treat it like you would a, uh, you know, a living thing. You don't want it to get too cold. You don't want it to get too hot. You don't want it to get too bounced around. So, <clears throat> I mean, that's always that's always my recommendations, no matter what part of the world you're in. Uh, he wants to know... Japanese-made guitars. Any Japanese-made guitars that I should keep an eye out for. Um, the 80s was kind of the heyday in some ways. For Japanese guitars, um, that's when the really, like, really, really nice copies of Fenders and Gibsons uh, were happening. You know, they were so nice that they got sued. Um, What are some of the companies I'm trying to think of? Tokai. Uh, Tokai, thank you. Tokai copies from the 80s are just so cool, and I bet they're super affordable over there. That's my guess. They're hard to come by in the States. And so, no, they're not like, you know, the end-all be-all, but they're very cool and they're probably very affordable over there. That's my guess. Um, High-end Alvarez guitars, like Alvarez Yari, the the handmade ones, like the really cool high-end ones that they don't ship outside of Japan, you know, that are made for the Japanese market. Yeah. Those are killer guitars for acoustic guitars. They really are. Um, those are killer. 
What else? What else can I think of? Oh, you know, it's the funky, crazy 60s Tysco, 60s and 70s, like Tysco and Gaia Tone. I, I love those guitars. Those are a little more hit and miss. They made all kinds of different models, and some of them are definitely way cooler than the others. Um, any 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 Tysco with the right gold foil, uh, and they made so many versions of that gold foil pickup. But there's a uh, the, you know the the famous one is the one that is being remade now by Lawler Pickups and Mojo. You know everybody's remaking the the famous Tysco gold foil you find those some of those you find the right one it'll have four of those pickups on it wow and those and yeah and uh those can be so cool big chunky necks you know they're not they're not like the they're not the apex of craftsmanship or anything you know by any means so they're 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 generally they're generally going to play a little rougher and not the nicest fretwork and stuff, but for a funky, obscure, raw sound and cool, you know, blues guitar, those are super hip. There's a, a Gibson copy that they make called Bernie. Those are cool. Uh, that's a Japanese-made thing you, you don't see very often over here. I'm trying to think of what else. I, that's That's what I can think of. Yeah. That's that's all I can think of. Thanks, Chris. Have fun in Tokyo. Yeah, it sounds awesome. Hi, dear friends. I've listened to all the podcasts from the beginning, all during the last two or three months. It has helped me to discern some bullshit on the internet. Hmm. My plan is to incorporate an out-of-phase wiring in position two in my German Musima? Yeah. Lead star. Uh, and in parentheses, a start copy. I think you mean strat. Oh, a strat Next, copy. Yeah. I couldn't figure out what that meant. Uh, my plan is to reverse the bridge pickup. Mm-hmm. Now, Eric, would you be ready and willing to share some specifics about the capacitor used to preserve the bottom end value and how it is wired? Pretty please. Mm. That's from... I'm going to just have a problem with your name. I'm sorry. Im- imminence? Imminence? I would say... Imance? I would say that Imance. 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 That sounds from... more like a name than what I just said. Yeah, well... It could be, you know. From Latvia. From Latvia. Sorry. Imants, my friend, because you said pretty please, I'm going to go into this. Now, I have been using out-of-phase settings on a lot of my my custom-made guitars and custom-done switches for a long time, and I think that's what you're talking about. You didn't say out-of-phase, but, oh, no, wait, wait a minute, you did. My plan is to incorporate an out-of-phase wiring in position two. My plan is to reverse the bridge pickup. Okay, yeah. Yes. So, the the way that I prefer to do this, there's two things that you do. You know, there's there's two ways to hook up two pickups. There's series or there's parallel. I prefer, when I'm, when I'm doing an out-of-phase setting, I prefer to do series. Now, if you don't know how to do that, you're going to have to research it because it's a little bit too in-depth to try to explain over a podcast. Plus, I don't know what kind of switch you're going to be using and all that jazz. So suffice it to say, you need to figure out how to run those pickups in series. That will give you a stronger output 
when you get these out of phase. The other thing I do, so <clears throat> so an out of so an out of phase uh, configuration is going to mean that the two pickups are connected together in the middle. So uh, each pickup has two wires coming from it, right? The pickup from the f the wire from the first pickup is going to go to the first pickup, and then the wire coming out of that pickup is going to go to the second pickup, and then the wire coming out of that pickup is going to go to the wiring again. So the way they're wired, you know, it's a series. The way I wire them, I use a capacitor in between the pickups. So it'll go from pickup to capacitor to pickup. I hope this makes sense. It's so hard to try to explain a schematic in an audio podcast, but that's how I do it. And I use a 0 0.01 microfarad capacitor or a 0 0.015 microfarad capacitor. And what that does is it just decouples the pickups enough and filters out some of the frequencies from the first pickup to where you get that cool out-of-phase quack, but the bass comes back in, and because it's series, it still has a, a full enough volume that it, it will compete with, you know, other pickup settings. So, man, that's... Holy cow, that's down a rabbit hole. We just lost everybody while I tried to explain <laughs> that. Because that is some super, super geekery right there. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I just started listening to the show a few weeks ago, and I've been look working my way through the backlog of episodes. I plan on fully catching up before submitting a question, but I realize that may take a while, so I figured I may as well submit one now. My question pertains to refrets. Are there varying levels of difficulty for refret jobs based on the neck and fingerboard materials? How about binding? How difficult is it to refret a guitar with an ebony fingerboard? I've heard they can be more prone to chipping out when removing frets. Finally, do you or have you ever worked with stainless steel frets? What is your take on them, both from a repairman and a player's perspective? Love the show. Keep it up. Cheers, Mitch. Thanks, Mitch. Uh, you know, long-time listeners are, are going to get tired of hearing me talk about stainless steel frets, but I, I'll go back into it. That's cool. I'm not a fan. They're hard to work with, and I think they sound uh, strange to my ear. They sound like uh, just too... Um, I don't know how to describe it. They sound too... They just have a weird kind of sterile and almost like... Uh, strange sustain to them that I don't expect from standard frets. The material is so much harder that it just it just deflects the note differently, you know? It just resonates differently. And it's it's probably, you know, preferable to some players. So some players might really prefer it. I personally don't. I just don't like it. Plus, they're so hard to work with that you know, why would I do that if I don't like the way they sound? So I don't put them on my own guitars, and I almost never uh, do stainless refrets for customers. I'll I'll just say, sorry, but I don't do that. I'll refer you to someone else. Um, because they're just, a, the, they're just a pain to work with. Um, they wear out your cutting tools and they wear out your hand while you're, you know, while you're trying to smooth out the fret edges. 
I mean, I have permanently damaged my shoulder from beveling everyone's frets west of the Mississippi. So, uh, I don't want to have to do that on stainless steel frets. What was this other question? Uh, uh refrets. Uh, varying levels of difficulty. How about binding and ebony fingerboards? Yeah. You know, it definitely complicates things when you've got binding. You can work around it. It's just an experience thing. You know, you just have to know what you're doing. A lot of a lot of people try to refret a guitar with binding and end up just screwing it all up because you can cut through the binding and you know so you have to you have to make the fret fit inside the binding and then there's different ways to do the overhang depending on the guitar you've got and the look you want and the feel you got but uh and as far as ebony goes yeah you know refretting a really dry ebony board is definitely that can definitely be tough cuz it can chip out so you have to really take your time the best uh the best way i've found to deal with ebony especially you know when it wants to chip out i'll take a soldering iron and a little bit of water i'll put water on either side of the fret when you're going to remove it take a soldering iron and run it up and down the fret and heat up the fret and you'll boil that water and it will steam and boil and the water gets into the wood and uh, it really helps to release that fret and really keeps things from getting out of control chipped. Uh, but I do that on almost every refret anyway, but it's just especially helpful when you're working with old dry ebony. Um, and, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to refret an old dried out ebony fingerboard, um, oil it first, maybe oil it the day before, you know, or something. Uh, oil it with some good fingerboard oil or, or lemon oil or, you know, Gerlitz's guitar honey, right? Or anything like that. Uh, yeah, I think that I think that was it. Thanks, Mitch. We appreciate it. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back with one more question. It's hard for me to talk about the guitars that I make. I feel like I'm bragging or I feel like I'm being a pushy salesman. But I'm not above reading unsolicited emails from happy owners of my guitars and uh, calling it a commercial. Hi, Eric. Hope you are doing well. Just wanted to follow up and say that I love this guitar. The tonal difference in all of the switch positions is amazing. The neck is so fast and straight, and it's very light. Most importantly, the pickups are incredible. Any tone is available. Nate. Well, thanks, Nate. I'm so glad that he's happy with that one. Eric, thanks so much for making my favorite guitar. I've owned so many, and I can't figure out why this guitar feels like the one that I've been playing with my whole life, even though I've only had it a month. Thank you, Eli. Right on. You did it again, my friend. Why do your pickups sound so f***ing good? (laughs) David. (laughs) You know, I tell people it's it's like making a cake. You gotta have the right recipe, you gotta have quality ingredients, and you have to, it all comes together in a certain way. And if you do the wrong thing at any certain step, then you end up with a bad cake. Right. It's like making a delicious, very good sounding cake. Go ahead. 
Recently purchased the Nitro Blonde pinup custom guitar you made. The intonation, resonance, playability, and that amazing tone in all three coil selections is by far the best I have ever played. I plug in and can't stop playing for hours. I will probably sell both of my other guitars and get another pinup. Thanks, Douglas. That's what I like to hear. Douglas, thank you. And you guys are so nice. You can see these lovely creations at pinupcustomguitars.com. That's P-I-N-U-P, like pinup girl, pinupcustomguitars.com. Hey, guitar nerds. Visit melcoleather.com to check out a variety of made-to-order leather guitar straps, or you can email melcoleather at gmail.com for custom work. Every Melco guitar strap is designed and built by hand by me. Check out my Instagram at Malco Leather to see examples of my past work. And as an added bonus, I offer free shipping in the U.S. for orders over $35. Visit MalcoLeather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O Leather.com. Eric, I've been binging on your podcasts while I'm feeding the animals on the farm in the evenings. That sounds delightful. Yeah. I haven't noticed any of them wanting to take up guitar repair, though. (laughs) We've been hit hard by the ash borer and have lost a few large ash trees this year. I'm not allowed to remove them from the farm, but I can use them for finished wood projects. Hmm. This is the heavy ash, not swamp ash. I was thinking that after the wood dried for a year, I might try making a telly thin line with telly pickups, not the full range ones, out of some of it. Uh, I have made strat parts casters and leveled frets and do have most of the tools needed, even Hosco nut files. Yeah, cool. Those are good. Yeah. Uh, I thought I would practice by making a few attempts from pine boards or scrap lumber before committing to the figured ash. How many guitars did you build before you felt like you had it down good or made something that you were really proud of? I figure it will take me at least double or triple that number in practice attempts. <laughs> Anything I should watch out for in making a thin line? Thanks. That's from Ron. Cool. Thanks, Ron. Um, I'm I am sorry to tell you this, but I still I still feel like I'm always improving. I mean, how many guitars did I build before I before I what did he say? Before you felt like you had it down? I mean, okay, yeah, I have it down, <clears throat> but uh, boy, especially in the early days. Every guitar I made was twice as good as the previous one, and that, you know, I felt that way. I'm sure that that wasn't quite the case, but I think I felt that way for the first, you know, 10 or 20 guitars. It's a learning curve, man, and your your idea of starting with scrap lumber is sound. That's definitely good. There's really good templates you can buy that will help you if you want to get pre-ma- pre-made, pre-cut templates. <clears throat> And uh, that makes it easier. With a thin line, you're going to need to uh, uh, route out the uh, the hollow sections, and then you know uh, put a thin sheet on the back over the hollowed out sections. You know this. This, I mean, you know this because you're asking the question. But yeah, so you'll need you know you'll need to run that wood through a planer of course and get all the right thicknesses and all that jazz but um i've never done one from scratch 
a thin line. So I can't, you know, I'm just kind of talking through this here, but certainly it can be done. And if you're going to use pre-made templates, I think it'll, it'll really shorten your learning curve and, and help. But that sounds like a great plan, you know, because it'll lighten that wood up a lot to have some hollowed out sections. And it sounds like, I mean, figured ash, that's going to be beautiful. Yeah, it sounds awesome. Yeah, it sounds super awesome. I wonder if, you know how some wood, when it's insect damaged, gets really beautiful. um, Dark green? Yeah, like, you know, holes and cool things a cool look from the insect damage. Yeah. Is that a thing from the ash borer? It must not oh, be. Oh, I don't know. But maybe. It must not be. It's like a beetle, right? It probably bores a hole like the size of a nickel. I don't know. Maybe not. It could be a smaller beetle. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. It could be. So I don't know. All right. Well, let us know how it goes, Ron. Sounds cool. Thank you, everyone, for participating, and thanks for your patience while we took some time off. It sounds like all you guys took some time off, too, because this was a short episode. Didn't have much in the way. You know, we didn't have much, but the questions we had were really solid. Yeah, and all of them were listening to the backlog of of episodes. And really good, really good questions. So participate in the show. Send us your question. Go to my website, ericdaw.com, and uh, submit your question there by clicking the contact link or the other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482 thank you very much and uh, we will talk to you soon good night